Hello and welcome back to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a listen. Happy New Year to everyone listening. I hope you had a good Christmas and New Year and are ready for 2020's packed programme of motorsport and I have some very exciting news if you're new to the program um, I am off to Daytona in a couple of weeks time to one of the absolutely iconic circuits in global motorsport and one of the top races in the world the Rolex 24 at Daytona I am so so excited gonna get to be there in the pits interviewing some drivers, some team owners, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm so, so excited. So ahead of the Rolex 24 and the start of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season, which starts off with the Rolex 24 at Daytona, I thought I would do a couple of podcasts to talk about uh, the the teams, the drivers, and the four different classes uh, that take part in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So if you're new to all this sort of thing, what is the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship? Well, IMSA stands for the International Motorsports Association. However, international <laughs> international is probably a little bit um, a little bit. Uh, how would you say, generous, Um, the series actually does go to two different countries. It goes to the United States and it goes to Canada. Um, So really it's a North American sports car uh, championship series. Uh, In the past, you used to have two main American sports car series, the Grand Am Rolex series and also the American Le Mans series. But um, in recent years, the two have kind of come together and revived the old IMSA uh, name. Uh, which actually in 2019 celebrated its 50th anniversary, which was very, very cool. Um, IMSA is a wonderful series, um, racing at some of the finest racetracks in the world. America is blessed with some incredible race circuits like Daytona, Watkins Glen, Laguna Seca, um, uh, Lime Rock Park, um, Road Atlanta, Sebring. There's so many iconic circuits um, and racing some fantastic events the Watkins Six Hours of the Glen um, the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta Daytona 24 hours, Sebring 12 hours and you have four classes with lots of factory drivers factory teams and lots of different types of racing cars all racing together it's the most wonderful series uh, and one I've been really enjoyed watching over the last year or so of course, the Rolex 24 is the lot. Of course, is the longest race uh, in the series. Um, uh, the nearest one being the Sebring 12 hour, and is the, the effectively the curtain raiser of the um, of the championship. So, and every winner in every class. So, out of the four class winners, all of the drivers within those cars win a Rolex watch. How cool is that? And to win. A Rolex, a Daytona 24-hour winner's Rolex watch. It's like the Super Bowl ring of international sports car racing. So everybody wants to win it. And when we go through and talk about the four different classes and the calibre of drivers racing in this event is incredible. Uh, And when you look at some of the drivers that have yet to have got the most incredible motor racing CVs but have yet to win that coveted Daytona Rolex watch... Now, let's talk about the classes in 
IMSA. Now we're going to break up this, these preview programs to the Rolex 24 into four separate shows, one for each class in the championship. So although they all race on the same circuit, the four different classes are very, very different indeed. So within the four classes, you have two of those classes, which are prototype racing cars. They kind of look a bit like spaceships. And the other two classes are GT cars. So these are cars that uh, if you if you can afford it, you could actually go out and buy a road-going version of that in a showroom. So things like Porsche 911s, Lamborghini Huracans, uh, Mercedes-AMG GTs, um, Acura NSXs, that kind of that kind of car. And within the prototypes and within the GTs, you have an all-professional class, and you also have a professional and amateur class. So. The professional classes, um, in prototypes, the class is called DPI, and in GT, it's called GTLM. And these are, the, these are the classes where car manufacturers will enter a team with their own drivers, and there is no limitations on the drivers that you can have. If you want to fill your car with Formula One drivers, you can, if, if, that, is your, if that is your wish. In the Pro-Am classes, which are in prototype, it's called LMP2, and in uh, GT cars, it's called GTD. Um, in those classes, there is a stipulation that you must have a certain level of driver. Um, so within the um, FIA motorsport um, rules, the, every single professional or every single racing driver has an FIA classification, platinum being the best, going all the way down to a bronze. Now, in Bronze drivers are normally what are referred to as uh, gentleman drivers and often those are the drivers that are bringing budget to a team in order to take part and often the business model of that team will revolve around having that bronze rated driver within the car. Um, so the first episode we're going to talk about DPI. So DPI is the top class in IMSA. These are the cars that are going for the all-out victory. To give you an idea, the car that won last year, that won the outright Daytona 24 hours, was a DPI car driven by four drivers, one of which was Fernando Alonso, double Formula One world champion. So that's the sort of level you're looking at to win that coveted Rolex watch. Now, the DPI class, um, a DPI car, uh, is a prototype chassis. So if you've ever watched Le Mans before, the cars that you see up at the, the, the faster end of Le Mans, they're called Le Mans prototypes. It's very similar to that sort of car, completely prototype, not in any way linked to a road-going model. So it starts with a carbon fiber chassis and then a body put on top of it with an engine in the middle. Now, the rules for a DPI car are actually relatively flexible. So a manufacturer will choose a chassis to base on. So um, the, the Wayne Taylor Cadillac, for example, is based on a Dallara chassis from Italy. Um, the Mazda is based on a Multimatic chassis. So there's a number of different different types of uh, chassis that you can uh, that you can base it on. So um, you you choose your chassis and then you you choose an engine from a car manufacturer. So although um, you have teams like uh, Mazda Team Yost, Acura Team Penske, Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, they have to basically pair up with 
a car manufacturer or, a car or an automotive brand to build their engine and also to have their engine, uh, their engine make on the side of the car. Once you've decided on the type of engine you would like in your DPI car, the bodywork, the front bodywork of that car must have a styling cue towards the road going models of that manufacturer. So the Mazda has to use the design language of Mazda road cars on the front of it. Uh, the, the Likewise the Cadillac and likewise the Acura. It's quite a strange combination actually having a completely sleek long prototype racing car with little road car cues on the front of it. Quite unusual but it, it, it does work. It makes sure that the cars are easier to, um, to, to determine between them on track. Now the one thing that makes them very easy to determine on track is the way that these cars sound because the engine, it's not as if there is a specification like it, for example, in the World Rally Championship, you have a 1.6 litre turbocharged engine, four cylinder turbocharged engine, and that's it. And they all virtually sound the same and, and go the same. In DPI, you have completely different engines depending on the manufacturer involved. So if you take Cadillac, for instance, they have an old-fashioned, old-school, big, brawny, 5.5-litre, naturally aspirated V8, an old-school American V8, and it sounds it. It's absolutely thundering sound from that car. From, it's, a, it's a General Motors Cadillac engine. The Acura um, is a little bit different. The Acura starts as a three and a half liter engine, actually from the company's MDX SUV model. And then the Penske organization strips two enormous turbochargers to it. So you have a three and a half liter V6 with two huge turbocharger, which makes a sort of low pitch droning noise um, when, it, when, it's, when it's at full acceleration. The Mazda, on the other hand, the Mazda is totally different. The Mazda uses only a little two-litre engine with just four cylinders and a turbocharger. Um, so you have three completely different engines, three completely different sounds. The Mazda, it screams. The Acura drones and the Cadillac roars and rumbles. Um, it's That's what I love about the DPI class in IMSA. It's completely unique to IMSA. The DPI cars do not race in any other series in the world other than IMSA in American sports cars. Now, of course, you're thinking, how on earth does a little Mazda 2-litre engine compete with a massive 5.5-litre Cadillac engine? Well, this is where something called balance of performance comes in, which actually within the motor racing community is a little bit of a dirty word because what balance of performance does is basically if one car is going too quickly or if one car is going too slowly the series can actually adjust their performance to be able to make sure that the playing field is as level as possible the advantages of it are is that you have in theory very close racing for the fans watching which is good um, you have the opportunity to have different types of engine and chassis being involved like i've just explained with the the engine technology for each manufacturer uh, and also it stops if uh, for it stops the really unnecessary spending as well in motorsport because if for example they want to get their car to run at the same speed but get another another 10 liters um, out of a stint or get another couple of laps out of a stint by improving the fuel efficiency it that can cost millions of dollars to develop the technology to do that and if 
the the idea is is that there is no point in spending that money because you will be pulled back by the balance of performance anyway. It's been very successful in global GT3 racing, and that's why you have so many different types of car competing in global GT3. Of course, there are disadvantages to balance of performance, and the purists of motorsport, and a lot of the teams as well, do not like balance of performance. And actually, there's, a, there's an extra element for the drivers as well, because... The thing with balance of performance is, is if you if you come into a race and your balance of performance setting uh, is not as favourable as your competitors, which you have no control over, of course, then you basically you have no you 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 can if it's not adjusted correctly, you can have no chance to win. And of course, for drivers, if they go and win a big race, often their results can be caveated, say, well, they only won because their car has a much more favourable balance of performance. And that is difficult. That is really, really difficult for a driver if you've gone and won this race fair and square, and they say, oh, well, yeah, that's fine, but his car's got a better balance of performance setting than mine. It's a little bit of a hornet's nest. Um, is it necessary in global motorsport? Possibly. Um, I, I think in certain categories of motorsport it is, um, but it does have its, its, its drawbacks as well. One problem that balance of performance does have is something called sandbagging. One you think, what on earth is sandbagging? Well, what car, what racing teams can do is, is that they can run deliberately slowly and basically hold back their true pace and their true, their true speed from um, everybody else by basically keeping their cards close to their chest. So in testing before the race or in practice or even in qualifying, they'll run their car deliberately slowly to try and look like they're not going as uh, uh, look like they're needing a little bit of a help with balance of performance and the series will go oh well you're a little bit behind let's take a little bit of weight out of your car or we'll give you a little bit more fuel per lap or something along those lines or we'll add weight to another competitor who's who's going quickly and of course in the race all of a sudden they find a massive amount of speed it, isn't that isn't that amazing so this has always been a problem at uh, the the test um, before the Rolex 24, which is called Roar Before the 24, which took place from the 3rd to the 5th of January. Now, this is a traditional test, a th it's a completely unique three-day test um, in a couple of weeks before the actual event, which is compulsory. If you do not attend, if you do not get your car out at that test, you will not start the Rolex 24. Driver-wise, it's different. Driver-wise, the lineups can change, but you've got to get your car out there. You've got to turn up for the roar before the 24. And in the past, there have been a number of instances where cars have turned up to the roar, not performed very well, and then when the race comes around, all of a sudden, they're up at the top of the field. <coughs> so it is quite a hard thing to police. So as what we'll talk about now is um, the qualifying time. So during the roar before the 24, the cars get three days of running around the Daytona International Speedway um, to get ready for the event. However, the times determine the, or the garage order within the pits. Not a huge deal. The proper qualifying will happen at the event itself, but always good to lay down a marker just to show your pace. However, this is where you may see some teams running deliberately slowly to, so that they may get a leg up with their balance of performance when it comes to the actual event in the place that matters. So 
I'm going to read out the current DPI um, qualifying times. They are to be taken with a pinch of salt. So the fastest the fastest team was the Mazda, um, the number 77 Mazda with Olivier Pla, the Frenchman at the wheel, with a 133.324, followed closely by the number 7 Acura, um, driven by Ricky Taylor, uh, with a 133.543, so very, very close indeed. Closely followed again by the first Cadillac, number 31, Felipe Nazar in the wheel and engineering Cadillac with 133.652. So, in terms of balance of performance, I mean, you've got three cars, three different manufacturers, all within three-tenths of a second. So, you would think that maybe the settings aren't so bad. But when you go down further, you've got very, very close. In fourth, you've got number 55, driven by the American Jonathan Bomarito, 133.660. In sixth place, you have the number 85 JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac, driven by Juan Pedrita at 133.940. And you have the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, driven by Renger van de Zande with a 134.226. So the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, quite a little way away from the pace, almost, almost a second off the pace of the leading Mazda. Now, the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac won the Rolex 24 last year and uh, was very, very close to almost, nearly, nearly, nearly won the last race of uh, of 2019 at Petit Le Mans, just missing out on the very last lap. So that's a quick car with some really quick drivers in it, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, so these... Um, we'll talk about it more when qualifying comes in for the race proper and I think you will see this order within the DPI class to be um, to be mixed up quite quite a bit. So, what we'll do now is we'll talk about who who are um, what's the field for the DPI class, who are going to be going for that um, all-out victory at the Rolex 24. So, let's start with last year's winner, the number ten Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. Now, the Wayne Taylor Racing Team have won the Rolex 24 twice in 2017 and last year in 2019. Now, for the first time in quite some time, there will not be a Taylor within the driver lineups. Of course, Wayne Taylor, very experienced South African, um, who's won the Mon, he's won a lot of the big American sports car races as well. He's now the team owner, but his sons, Ricky and Jordan, very, very successful drivers in their own right, both of which have driven for and won the Rolex 24 in their father's team in the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. Now, Ricky left um, a couple of years ago to go to Acura Team Penske, uh, and Jordan this year has made the move, made the move to, to the GT class um, to race in the brand new Corvette CAR, which we'll talk a lot about more uh, in the next podcast when we talk about the, the, the Pro GTLM class. So, Wayne Taylor Racing has got a, a bit of a new look lineup, and um, <laughs> it's got to be one of the strongest lineups in the entire field. So, leading the team, you have Renger van der Zander, the, the Dutchman, um, who is classified as a gold driver uh, in the FIA, um, FIA statistics. 33 years old, former 2016 IMSA Prototype Challenge class champion, 2018 Petit Le Mans winner, 2014 class winner at Petit Le Mans, highly experienced uh, in GT cars and in Formula 3 career. Won this race before last year, so we'll be wanting to, to, to go for that once more. 
The rest of the drivers in the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac all have the highest possible grade, platinum grade drivers, uh, according to the FIA. So next up, a new addition to the team is Ryan Briscoe. So the Australian Ryan Briscoe, he has been racing in the factory for GT program for since 2016. Um, so this will be him stepping into a proto prototype once again, um, looking for outright class, outright victory in the race, not just in class. So Ryan Briscoe's CV is Australian, absolutely incredible. You know, in 2015. He'd won Daytona and Sebring. 2016 won won at Watkins Glen. 2013 he won at Sebring and Petit Le Mans. He's had eight IndyCar wins. He's raced in the iconic Porsche RS Spiders. And he's won the Rolex 24 at Daytona twice. So he has got all of the credentials to step into that car. And he will be driving for the full season. So in all of these lineups uh, that we have for the Rolex 24, usually three, sometimes even four drivers in uh, sharing a car for the 24 hours during the uh, the regular IMSA season, which runs right the way through to until October. Normally, there are only two drivers sharing the car. So the full-time drivers for Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac are Renger van der Zander and Ryan Briscoe. Turning up just for the Rolex 24, last year's, who was in last year's winning car, Kamui Kobayashi, the 33-year-old who had four years in Formula 1 and currently races for the Toyota factory team. A brilliant um, prototype uh, race car driver, been so close to winning at Le Mans a number of times um, and who knows, this could be the year where he could even do the Daytona and Le Mans double. Finally, in the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, we have Scott Dixon, who is just an absolute genius uh, behind all sorts of different racing cars. He's won the IndyCar Championship five times. He won the Indy 500 in 2008. He's been in the top three in the IndyCar driver standings on 12 occasions. He's won the Rolex 24, all with Chip Ganassi in the last, for the last, well, he's won it in 2006, 2015 and 2018 in class. Absolutely extraordinary um, talent, um, Scott Dixon, the Kiwi, and he knows exactly how to get it done in this particular race. So watch out for Rain Taylor Racing Cadillac. They may not be on the pace at the roar, but like I say, take, take those roar before the 24 times with a pinch of salt and we'll wait and see what happens in the uh, event itself. Next up, we've got the number 31 Whelan Engineering Cadillac and the Action Express Racing Cadillac. In this lineup, all platinum drivers, the best of the best. First up is Felipe Nazar, 27-year-old um, Brazilian, um, won the IMSA Prototype Championship in 2018. He's won in the British Formula 3 Championship. He's seven-time Brazilian karting champion. Um, Absolutely, you can't you can't imagine how hard that is to win that many championships in karting. Won Sebring at an with the most amazing performance in Sebring twenty nineteen. Every time he got into the car, he just cleared away from his from his opposition. Had a couple of seasons in F one as well, but he really found his feet in IMSA and is one of the fastest drivers in all of sports cars around the world. He will be paired up for the full season with Pipo Durani, also Brazilian, 26 years old. The two the two drivers, they've both um, kind of mirrored each other throughout their career, Felipe Nasso, Felipe Nazar and Pipo Durani, and have both found their feet 
in sports car racing. Pipo Durrani has won Sebring in, 20, in class 2016, 2018 and 2019. Finished second at Le Mans with Ford in 2017 and got on the podium at the absolutely iconic Macau Grand Prix in 2013. And he won the Rolex 24 in 2016. So he's won, he's won the Rolex 24 and he's won Sebring, two of the biggest races in global sports car racing. So watch out for those guys, not just the Rolex 24, but all season. They will be joined um, by two sports car legends for the Rolex 24. They will be joined just at, just um, um, for the Rolex by Mike Conway, who arguably is the fastest sports car driver in the world right now. Whenever he gets into that Toyota LMP1 car in the World Endurance Championship, he is just dynamite and was absolutely robbed in 2019 they were leading Le Mans comfortably and had a tyre issue um, with just uh, about an hour to go and absolutely robbed of an outright victory there but Mike Conway he's never won at the Rolex 24 so he's going to be desperate to add to that um, to that uh, that CV of his he won at Macau in 2006 he won the British Formula 3 Championship he's won races in IndyCar at Long Beach Toronto Belle Isle he was actually the test driver for Bron GP in 2009 in the year that uh, and the year that they won that incredible championship he's won GP2 races at Monaco he has got quite the CV in motorsport but has yet to get the sports car results that he truly deserves so watch out for whenever Mike Conway gets into that car um, at the Rolex 24. For the other endurance races um, throughout the season in the 31 wheel and engineering Cadillac including the Rolex 24 there'll be Philippe Albuquerque the 34 year old um, from Portugal. He's won, um, he's won Watkins Glen and he's the six hours of Watkins Glen in 2016 and he's won the Rolex 24 twice in 2013 and 2018. So watch out for Philip Philip Albuquerque as well. So that is what we would call a loaded car, just loaded with fast drivers. There is no weak links at all in that uh, in that number 31 wheel and engineering Cadillac. So let's talk about Penske. So Roger Penske had quite the, quite the incredible uh, season in 2019. So Roger Penske has racing programs all around the world and is one of the biggest names in motorsport. But 2019 was particularly special. His team, DGR Team Penske, down in Australia, won the Bathurst 1000, one of the biggest races in the world. They won the Australian V8 Supercar Championship for the second year running with Scott McLaughlin. Uh, they want the both of their drivers Joseph Newgarden and Simon Pagano were first and second in the IndyCar uh, championship. They won the Indy 500 with Simon Pagano, and to top if that weren't enough, they also won the IMSA championship with Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya, and won. And if that all of that weren't enough, Roger Penske's organisation managed to acquire the NTT IndyCar series and the Indianapolis. Motor Speedway, an absolutely incredible year for a man who's been in motor racing for over 50 years. It is incredible um, just how successful his 2019 year was. So the IMSA program, um, which they've teamed up with Acura um, for the DPI class, they have two cars, the number six and the number seven. Tell you a little bit about the number six. The number six is the championship winning car um, from from last season. Um, Dane Cameron um, and Juan Pablo Montoya were just exceptional. 
particularly in qualifying Juan Pablo Montoya, when he really switched it on, he was just untouchable and showing why he has um, the CV that he does. I mean, Juan Pablo Montoya, he's 44 now, um, but still racing at the very highest level. 2019 IMSA champion, seven Formula One race wins, two Indy 500 wins, um, a kart championship. He won NASCAR races at Watkins Glen and Sonoma, and he's won the Rolex 24 three times. He's got the most extraordinary CV, and he has been partnered fantastically for the last year or so by Dane Cameron. Um, Dane Cameron, relatively new to, um, to, to, to racing in comparison to Juan Pablo, but already a three-time IMSA class champion. 2011 Sebring winner in class, but yet to win that elusive Rolex. And that is going to be a car to watch out for, that number six Penske. They will be joined for the endurance races by that Indy 500 winner, Simon Pagino, a 35-year-old Frenchman, um, you know, 2016 Indy car champ, 2019 Indy 500 winner. As, as I've said, he's raced at Le Mans. He's been an um, American Le Mans series champion. He's won at Petit Le Mans but also someone really looking for that Rolex watch. So Juan Pablo Montoya, the only guy who knows what it's like to take your car into victory lane at the end of the 24 hours of Daytona. In the number seven car, uh, led by uh, Ricky Taylor, son of, of Wayne Taylor, Wayne Taylor Racing, um, he, has, um, he has won it. Um, he won the Rolex 24 back in 2017 uh, in his dad's team in Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. He's raced at Le Mans with Corvette in 2016 and with Jackie Chan DC Racing in the LMP2 class. Um, in 2017, had the most extraordinary season where they, uh, him and his brother Jordan took their car all the way to the IMSA Championship, but they won the first five races of the season in a row. Um, including the Rolex 24 at Daytona and the Sebring 12-hour. He's won Petit Le Mans and he's won Watkins Glen, so there is nothing really left in Ricky Taylor's um, CV that's missing apart from a class win at Le Mans, and who knows, that might be closer around the corner than he thinks. He will be joined for the rest of the season um, by Helio Castroneves, a 44-year-old, very exper experienced Brazilian, an absolute legend of the Penske organisation. Um, raced in the Indy 500 in 2019 at 44 years old. That is quite extraordinary. He's won the Indy 500 three times, so there is so much pace uh, in that car. For the endurance races this year, they will be joined by Alexander Rossi, 28-year-old Californian, who won... Uh, the Indy 500 back in 2016. So, interestingly, if you look at the Penske cars, there is so much quality within their cars, but only the only guys that know what it's like to win that Rolex watch are Juan Pablo Montoya and Ricky Taylor. So, there's a lot of guys who are fast and hungry uh, in those teams. Let's talk about the Mazdas, the little, the little Mazdas with the little two-liter turbo motor. Mazdas are looking really, really fast. They were the guys who who seemed to just absolutely go for it at the roar before the 24. And interestingly, the new team boss, Nelson Cosgrove, um, <laughs> very, very interestingly commented in the press that their plan was to show their, two, their true 
pace. So very much a dig that they are at the, anyone who was looking to sandbag at the roar before the 24. So Olivier Pla, who set the fastest time of the whole three-day test, showed that that Mazda is ready to go and win some of the big races. They started to win races last year, and including this uh, Watkins Glen six hours of the Glen, but uh, they want to go for the big ones. They want the Rolex 24. They want the Sebring 12 hours. They want Petit Le Mans. They came close, but this is the year that I think they they, they really want to go for it. Um, uh, real, yeah, Unchanged driver lineups from last year. In the number 55, there's Ryan Hunter-Ray, the 39-year-old Texan, uh, IndyCar champion, Indy 500 winner. He's won Petit Le Mans. He's won Sebring, but never Rolex 24. Jonathan Bomarito, the 37-year-old American, um, he has won the Rolex 24 before, back in class in 2010. Harry Tinknell, uh, the 28-year-old from Devon, he's won at Le Mans before, um, so really quality lineup in that Mazda Team Yost car. In the number 77, we've got Olivier Pla, uh, the Frenchman, 38 years old, who's won at Watkins Glen, he's won at Petit Le Mans, he's won GP2 races, um, but that elusive Rolex still... Um, still eludes him. Ollie Jarvis, a 35-year-old from Cambridge, um, winner, he's won Macau, he's won um, Le Mans in, in the LMP2 class, he's been on the podium in DTM, he's won the Sebring 12-hour, multiple podiums with Audi, um, and has won the Rolex 24 back in 2013 in the GT class. So really a, a sports car uh, a real sports car superstar, Ollie Jarvis. And they will be joined by Tristan Nunez, the 24-year-old Floridian who has been racing with Mazda for a number of seasons now. So watch out for those Mazdas. Again, a lot of drivers in there who are quick but have not won the, the Daytona 24. And this is the this is the thing about the Rolex 24 at Daytona. You have such a big field, nearly 40 cars with three or four drivers in each car, and so many of them have yet to taste that victory. Uh, and when it's over such, I mean, 24 hours is such a long time. And in every class, there's you can hardly throw a towel over the leading cars. It's extraordinary. If you can imagine, <laughs> if you can imagine a Formula One sprint race, if that were extrapolated out to 24 hours, you've got you you can imagine something something close to that. So. It's, it's the anticipation with all of these great drivers, great teams. It's going to be fantastic. So let's talk about the one of the what I think is going to be a very difficult team to beat in 2020. And that's the number five Mustang Sampling Racing with JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac, led by a series legend, Joao Barbosa, the 44-year-old from Porto. He's a double IMSA champion. He's won Watkins Glen four times, Sebring twice, Petit Le Mans twice, and he's won the Rolex 24 four times. So he knows how to get the job done. He's been in the Cadillac for a number of uh, seasons now, and he is just one of the finest drivers in all of IMSA history. He will be he will be joined by Frenchman Sebastian Bourdais for the for all of the IMSA season in 2020. Now Sebastian Bourdais has been racing in the IndyCar series for a number of years now, and um, had a contract for 2020, but that will not be honoured. He has been kicked out of the team to make way for another driver, so a little bit left in the lurch, but has managed to to go back um, to driving with Mustang Sampling Racing, uh, a team that he has had a lot of success with in the past and 
well. Sebastian Bourdais, again, he's a Le Mans winner. He's won V8 supercar races in Australia. He's been on the outright podium with Peugeot. Formula 3000 champion, F1 driver, you know, you, you name it, he's done it. In 2015, he won Sebring, he won Petit, and he won the Rolex 24. So just watch out for those guys in that number five. They will be joined uh, for the endurance rounds by Loic Duval, a 37-year-old who won Le Mans uh, outright in the Audi in 2013 and was the 2013 World Endurance Champion. He's won Super GT 500 championships. He's won Formula Nippon. He's raced in Formula E. He's won the Sebring 12 hours and has won the Rolex 24. So a quality lineup in there as well. Finally, they will have Tristan Vautier, the 30-year-old Frenchman, um, who uh, has won the Intercontinental GT Challenge in 2018, won Indy Lights in 2012 and 2011 in Star Mazda. So there is some real quality in that number five Cadillac. Finally, um, the final car is the number 85 JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac. Now, this is probably the car with the weakest lineup uh, in this series, and it just shows you... Uh, just how competitive the DPI class, and if you've not, if you're not running a car with all platinum or mostly platinum and gold drivers, you are going to 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 struggle. So the number eighty-five JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac is likely to be uh, up against it. So they will have in their car they will have Matthias Leist, the gold driver, who's finished in the top fifteen in the Indy five hundred in the last couple of years, um, one races, four wins in 2016 in British Formula 3 and won the championship. Only 22 years old, very, very quick, a lot of natural speed, um, but no um, no, ex no experience of the Rolex 24. Juan Perdita, 27-year-old Colombian, um, competed uh, in the IMSA Enduros last season, competed in Indy Lights, but has not won any races in professional motorsport. Chris Miller of JDC Miller Motorsports, uh, he's just one of one of two silver drivers in the whole DPI class. Most of the drivers in the DPI class are platinum or gold drivers. Um, he's actually he won uh, he won a, a class win at Watkins Glen in 2018 and has won in class in the Rolex 24 in the Prototype Challenge Pro Am class uh, back in 2016. So, it who's the favourite? Well, it's so hard to say, and I think that. That probably tells you something about DPI and IMSA competition in general, is that you have so many good teams with so many good drivers that trying to pick a winner is so difficult. If you were to look at the pace of the roar before the 24, uh, you would have to say that it's the Mazda team, Yost, that look really, really strong. But there's going to be so many surprises that are going to spring up over over the weekend. If I was to oh, if I was to put, put money on it, if I was forced into... Uh, a decision, well, I have to say the, the lineups. I think it's going to be a competition between the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, um, just because their driver lineup is just incredible, the number 31 Cadillac, uh, and uh, and the Mazdas. But you can't write off the Acura, so I'm, I'm sitting on the fence here, I know. Uh, so it's going, to be, it's going to be so unpredictable, it's going to be so great to, to, to watch. So in the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about um, the GT Le Mans category, which is the professional GT class where Porsche go up against Ferrari. 
uh, Corvette with their brand new car and also the RLL BMW team as well. So if IMSA is uh, something that is beginning to excite you, you can check out the race, the Rolex 24, which will happen on the 25th and 26th of January. Uh, you can watch it online on IMSA.tv where there's live coverage of the whole race. And also the race will be published on IMSA's excellent YouTube channel uh, a couple of days after the race as well. So you can watch the whole thing. A bit of good news. So when I'm over... Um, when I'm over at Daytona, I'm going to have the opportunity to speak to a couple of the drivers and team owners as well. So if there is any particular driver within the MJ Championship that you would like me to try to speak to, please do let me know. You can let me, you can get in contact through my website, which is www.petermckaymotorsport.com. I can reveal that on the Friday of the Rolex 24, I'm going to have a fantastic opportunity to have a chat with Wayne Taylor, the owner of Wayne Taylor Racing and Formula and former Le Mans winner, which I'm incredibly excited about. So if there's anything in particular that you would like me to ask Wayne, um, I would be delighted to do so. Please do get in touch. I would love to hear from you. So that concludes our first uh, in our series of Daytona preview podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon with the next episode.